Hello, it's the Product Guys Podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Happy 2021. We're back in it, and this podcast is back up and running. We've got a couple of uh, interviews for you coming out over the next couple of weeks, and then uh, maybe some exciting new developments here on this podcast feed for the Product Highs podcast. I, I can't wait to get into it all in, in the next few weeks, so be sure to stay subscribed. Today, I'm talking to a longtime friend of mine, Sean McCabe. He's known as Sean Wes on Twitter and on the interwebs. Sean has had a long and winding career of teaching creative people entrepreneurship, and he's been uh, a personal content machine, you know, churning out hours upon hours of podcasts and written courses and blog articles and social media stuff. This year, all culminating in the new productized service that he calls, fittingly, Daily Content Machine. <laughs> it's been uh, pretty cool to see him launch this thing and, and grow it and, and build some impeccable process and operations behind it where they are, uh, are producing daily content for people. It's pretty cool. We're going to get into all the uh, nuts and bolts of, of how it works here in the, in the first part of the interview. And then in the second part of the interview, as always, I'm, I'm kind of diving into Sean's backstory and all the different uh, learnings and, and twists and turns that he, that he learned over the last uh, decade of building a business on the internet. <laughs> that's, that's what this is all about. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Sean McCabe. Enjoy. I'm here with Sean McCabe. Sean, how's it going, man? Hey, Brian. It's going well. Glad to be here. Yeah. Sean, I was trying to remember like what year it was that you and I started being aware of each other and, and, and talking. I'm, I think it goes back to like 2010, maybe? I was going to say 2010, literally a decade now. Wow. Amazing. Back in the, uh, the old WordPress days for, for both of us. Yes. Yep. WordPress uh, still going strong. I'm still rocking it. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I think for this episode, some people might, you know, might know you and, and follow you, but I, I think there's probably uh, some folks in, in the audience here who haven't heard of you. To be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about this episode because I'm just looking through your website and I'm, tr I'm trying to get up to speed on all the things that I, I may have missed over, over the last decade of knowing you and following your work. And you're, you're one of these folks who just launches and ships a lot of really interesting creative work, a lot of interesting products, services, a lot of content, I mean, a ton of content. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it, it's pretty impressive. So what I'm interested in is to hear how all these different products and things fit together and your journey of like moving from one idea to the next. I I'm always fascinated by that, like how people change throughout their entrepreneurial career here. And, uh, and I think it, it, it's great to talk to you now because you recent, somewhat recently, a couple of months back, you, you launched this new thing called uh, Daily Content Machine. So why don't we start there and then we'll sort of uh, unpack the history after that. What, what's up with uh, Daily Content Machine? Tell us about it. Yeah, so that's something we started just this year. It's, it's been in my head for a little bit. I was, I was planning it last year, but we just launched it. And Daily Content Machine is where we find the best moments from your long-form videos and turn them into short clips. And then we write engaging titles, add flawless captions edited by a human, you know, animate the progress bar, put a nice little call to action at the end there. Yeah, so that way you can just show up once a week and record your show. Maybe it's an hour long. You send it to us and we're just going to find all the best parts where you said something really good or your guest said something insightful. We 
edit out all of the the filler words and the silence and just you have this nice engaging clip that goes on all of the social media platforms. So that's kind of our our main thing right now. Very cool. And uh, I mean, we'll dig into like the process and your operation on how you're actually able to uh, to run this service and actually scale it. But just so I, I better understand. So like who who is like an ideal customer for this? Is it someone who already has a podcast and they're recording about an hour's worth of content every week? Yes, that would that would be ideal. Someone specifically video because audio is just really difficult to repurpose. Audio doesn't do too well on the various social platforms. So I really, really recommend people film their podcast, even if they're on a podcast that isn't video, just turn on your webcam, get some video footage of yourself talking. And then you've you've got clips and videos and things that you can repurpose that are actually going to perform on social media. So ideally, someone is recording a show. But surprisingly, we get a number of people who they don't even have a show, they kind of come to us like, really like blank slate. And they're like, what, what should I do? And so I often guide them through that a little bit and kind of help them set up a podcast and film this help themselves on video. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask about that. So obviously, the focus of the service is daily content. And, and you're taking this long form piece of content and cutting it up into clips that can be shared daily. But do you also like, would, would daily content machine also serve as like the podcast editor producer for the main podcast for like the full yeah episode? so it's we aren't super public with it right now but we also have another service called video podcast magic where we will edit your say you do like a multicam you know you could do like a zoom video recording and we'll use that but if you want something a little more polished like you record yourself locally your guest records themselves locally we'll do the multicam camera switching we'll make your video podcast we'll make your audio podcast we'll write your show notes you know, handle all the scheduling and the publishing and then the clips on top of that. I'm not usually like upfront with that because that's at this point, it's not a service that like is our bread and butter. You know, I'm not really trying to build like a podcast editing agency, although maybe we do expand a little more into that. For now, it's like those of our clients that need it, we we can offer the service. Very cool. I mean, like video, combining video with with podcasting or especially interviews is is very interesting i mean like i've been watching you know this year with with covid and everything you watch the news and and it's been sort of interesting to see how how like news organizations have been scrambling to figure out how to how to run all these like television news interviews in this age of covid where everybody has to be remote you know like like you'll see like these like presidential candidates but like they're all on zoom and these TV networks are getting creative with like having like a side cam of the person <laughs> looking into their laptop, you know, I just always found that kind of interesting. So, so it's cool to hear you like, like taking podcast editing. I know this is sort of like a side, <laughs> kind of like a side hustle to the daily content machine thing, but there's all these different spins on podcast editing now where, where it's like you could focus on video and you're talking about multicam. And it's just such a space that's like going in many different directions. I like it. Yeah, it's really experiencing not not this resurgence because it's been growing steadily, but uh, just just even more energy, like you said, with people working from home a lot more these days. And there's just so much you can do with video. Like w- another part of what we offer is since we already are transcribing everything you say as a part of our process, we give you that as a nice byproduct of our service. So you get a full transcript. It's nice for your show. It's nice for SEO, finding something you do. But then also 
the clips that we find. So we're finding the best moments. That's kind of the most valuable part of the service is the fact that we find the best parts of what you say, things that would work without someone having had to have heard the whole interview. It just works on its own. We find those, we edit it down. And then because we're making captions for that, we're also making this you know, human edited transcription of the best parts that are edited. And so what you have are all of these little additional written pieces of content that our clients really like for turning into blog posts or newsletters or guides or courses, or just compiling together to even, you know, put put a book together. So you get all these different assets, like, you know, the the cover images and written versions. So you can just show up, talk into the microphone, and the end result is you've got a video show, you've got an audio podcast with a, with a written episode page, a full transcript, daily clips, seven days a week, and then all of these written uh, versions of those that you can easily easily turn into other pieces of content. Very cool. I've seen, you know, some of these clips float around there on, on Twitter and stuff. And, and uh, it's been cool to see how, yeah, it's a video clip. And then you do have like the written, like it rotates sentence by sentence on, on the video clip that you see in a tweet. You know, that's pretty cool. So I, I want to get, get like, take us behind the scenes a little bit. How do you actually run this sort of operation? Like who are the key roles on your team? Who's doing what? What does a typical uh, client engagement look like? Why don't we start with the team? Like who, who are the roles? Yeah, so we decided to go with contractors just because it's, it's really scalable. You can start small, you can grow. So we have some contractors that are basically full-time and others that are less than full-time depending on their availability. And then we have like some, some core team members that are, that are salaried that are kind of like overseeing the operation. But basically we have three people to a client and they're all contractors. So like the team kind of, you know, helps out the contractors when they need it. But for the most part, uh, we've got a writer, we've got what we call a producer, and then we have a manager. And the first two, they're really more of editors. Um, They're both editors. It's just that we call them writer and producer because one person edits written words and the other edits videos. And so that's just what we call them. But the process basically looks like we transcribe the, the the whole recording. The writer goes through and, you know, are you doing that by hand or are you using a service? No, I'm, I'm using a, it, it's machine generated. We're not doing that by hand. So uh-huh. it's like, I would say 96% accurate. You know, it's got like commas and periods and capitalization. Like it's, it's remarkably good, but it's not perfect. So it's a great starting point just to kind of get immediate insight into what is in this recording. And then the writer is looking for certain things we've got, like we train them on certain criteria to find what we call clippable moments. And once they've identified those, they then edit those sections down even further and make sure, you know, the the whole transcript is absolutely perfect. I want to pause there for a second, because this is something that I know a lot of people might struggle with, because it's one thing to, to hire team members and give them a straight ahead process, like click this button, go here, copy this into there, do this, do that. But it's another to to ask your team to make these like creative decisions or strategic decisions. Like, like, it's like, can you tell me about those like clippable moments? Like, how do you actually train your team on? I mean, I guess they can use their, obviously they're, they're, they'll use their best judgment on, on what's interesting, but like, how do you match that up with like what the client's goals are and, and all that? 
Yeah, great question. It's it's very systematized. We've also found that you can train the process is thorough enough to where we can train anyone, but it really helps when the person is already a rider and you're not having to work super yeah. hard. So it's a good idea to start with someone who is already really good at what you want them to do. But we've had success with just training them on certain criteria. So basically, this needs to make sense without context. Whatever this clip you you want to pull out, someone needs to understand it and get get some insight from this without having seen the rest of it. That's very, very important. And then within the clip itself, we have kind of a, a three-part structure. We call it the hook, the substance, and then landing the plane. So the hook is right at the beginning. This needs to grab someone's attention. And even if the person, like the client, didn't actually say things in that particular order, like maybe they didn't set up the context exactly, we'll pull that from a different part of the video, even if it's slightly out of order, just to get a good hook at the beginning. So immediately when this video starts autoplaying on social, the viewer is engaged. So you got a hook, then a substance that needs to deliver some kind of takeaway, insight, or value respective to the client's audience, which is also, you know, we're doing research on that. So we know who this is. And then landing the plane is like, the clip can't just end suddenly. It needs to come to a closure. There ne- the, the voice needs to have this downward inflection where they're coming to the end of a sentence like that. Right. Very cool. I guess this might get into a little bit of the client onboarding, which I'm, I'm always very, very interested in. But do you do anything like, like training your clients on how to produce really clippable content, if you will? Yeah. So there's three ways that I tell them that I really like making clippable content easily. The first one is to prepare an outline for yourself when you go into your recording. And I recommend just preparing a bullet list of seven takeaways. Why seven? Well, we're trying to make daily clips. There's seven days in a week. So if you say seven insightful things, there you go. There's, there's, your, there's your week's worth of clips. So I, I tell them, usually we're looking for around 60 minutes. That pretty much guarantees we're going to find enough clips. But it doesn't have to be 60. We just need seven, seven insights. So if you kind of prepare those on your own, maybe you only record 38 minutes and we find exactly what we need. So that's the first one, prepare seven takeaways. The second one is you can be a guest on someone else's podcast, you're interviewed on someone else's show, whether they do video or not, turn on your camera, film yourself. And then what you're, what you're going to do is you're naturally going to deliver in these bite-sized pieces when you're being interviewed, which make great clips naturally. And I tell them like when you're on a stage, someone asks a question, not everyone heard the question. It's good practice to repeat the question. So when you're being interviewed, you say, Oh, great, great question here's what I do to make sure I have a productive morning routine. You kind of like re-freight, you, you set the stage yeah. again and, and you're basically making really good clips. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of your clips from, from this interview end up on your, your <laughs> yeah. in the next you shouldn't year. You shouldn't be surprised. And then uh, the third one is Q&A. We really love Q&A. Q&A is probably the most efficient way to get clips because say you have a Facebook group or you have a community or you know even just a big, social media following, you can solicit questions, maybe Instagram story or something. Hey, what questions do you have for me? You can gather these questions asynchronously. So then you just show up, look at the camera. You've got 20 or 30 questions on a list on your screen and you just deliver, right? Maybe in half an hour, you've got clips for for three weeks or something like that. Or you can do it the live way, stream live on YouTube, 
Periscope, Facebook, whatever, whatever you want, and just ask people to ask questions live. Maybe you've got a team member fielding those questions. You've got some nice live interaction there, some nice live engagement, but you've also recorded this and you can turn that into clips. So those three ways, we've got the, the outline, the seven, seven takeaway outline that you prepare. We've got the guest interview where you film yourself. And then we've got the Q&A. I love it. It actually makes me think of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, you always see, like, I just noticed that, like, he's always coming out with a lot of content on a regular basis. And I don't really follow his stuff as much as I, I used to years ago. But I do notice that, like, a lot of his more recent podcasts are just him on somebody else's podcast. And he just takes that audio and or, or video and, like, repurposes it. So it's like you're talking about, like, you, there are all these different times when you're just on call anyway or are on a video or on a somebody else's podcast that you can you know repurpose in, in many different ways yeah there's so much you can do so when did you actually launch daily content machine very quietly at the end of may in 2020 and within a few months it was already a six-figure business by itself which was pretty awesome but like very quietly like like mainly it's been uh I'm actually really holding back a lot of the stuff you talk about, Brian, with processes and stuff. It's it's like I, I'm holding back. I literally haven't even emailed my twenty-five thousand person email list. Like I've hardly I've hardly pushed this at all. I haven't I haven't even been I don't think I've done anything that promotes it or links to it directly in like two months. And every day we're just getting inquiries. Every day people are recommending us, they're referring us, they'll find my Twitter bio link or something like that. It's been pretty incredible. So like, I'm just trying to keep up with like, we have good processes for delivering the actual service. And I'm moderately happy with client onboarding, but there's a lot that we need to do to to make it even better. The main thing right now is really streamlining the, uh, the contractor onboarding. So like training them, we have training, but then we, we're, it's, it's growing so fast. We're evolving the way we do things and we're, we're recording new training right now. So good problems to have. That is a really hard problem. I've seen that happen with, with audience ops, but I, actually I want to dig into that in just a second, but the coming back to the, the very early days of a brand new productized service that resonates. I mean, mm. it, I, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to the early days of audience ops. And I remember being really surprised at how fast it grew in in the in the earliest days you know like i i just really wasn't expecting it i i my my expectation was i would launch this audience op service you know blog content productized service this was back in 2015 and i just thought it would be like a good way to start generating some recurring revenue Maybe maybe I'd reach 10, 10K MRR within a year, I thought. And I mean, it, it, that happened within 60 days, you know? And, and it was like, but that's the thing with a productized service. And obviously this wouldn't be the case with every or any service idea, but it, it has that potential to, you know, you can really just launch the offer and you don't even have to figure out all your processes yet. You, you could figure those out as you work with your very first customers, you know, yes. and, and get... and. And it's not like you're pre-selling, you're, you're actually selling and delivering the service. Yeah, yeah. A, a really powerful way to, to get pay, paid up front for a service that you're not even quite ready to deliver is to simply have a wait list. If you just book people in advance, and that's, this is very natural, like right now, if you wanted to start with us, we couldn't start for over a month. You know, that's when we're available. But in the beginning, 
we actually arbitrarily created a wait list and we booked people out four weeks because it actually helped us kind of spin things up and hire the right contractors and get and get them in place and, and, and train. And so a wait list is really, really helpful. Um, not to mention, sometimes clients are like, can you do it sooner? Well, then you can charge a rush fee or, or a, you know, an expedite fee. But yeah, getting people booked out in advance that you, you mentioned, um, you know, just having the service like really resonate in the beginning. For me, I, I knew from the beginning when we were making this, that, that this was what people wanted. Cause I would just have conversations with people. I really made the daily content machine just for myself because I wanted clips of myself. But then whenever I told people about it, they're like, Oh, I really want that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll do this. It's not like I just woke up and wanted to do this service one morning. It was just people were saying, can I give you money to do this? So I said, okay, let's, let's do this. And it's been remarkable. Like the close rate I have on, on these calls. I mean, it's, it's probably 50 to 60%. Like it's, it's really good. And even the people who haven't signed yet, it's all like, it's like timing for them or like maybe we'll start, you know, in quarter one of next year or like we got to get these things in, in line. But like it's it's hardly ever just like, no, this isn't going to be a good fit. Like the, most of them pay. And then I got the idea to just say, hey, you know, it's a oh, so I started out with a three month contract. Everyone did that. And I'm like, OK, I went up to a six month contract. Everyone did that. And then, so more recently, I'm thinking, Okay, there's zero resistance at all. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go up to a 12 month contract. And I got this other idea when we're at six months to say, to say like, if you want to pay for all six months up front, I'll give you a month for free, just to kind of like front load cash for myself and grow faster. And 60% of people that I've offered that to in the past several months have taken us up on the pay six months up front deal. So uh, I wasn't aware that you do these these like termed uh, contracts. And so. When you say six month or twelve month contract, is it you are paying up front or is it like you have an option but you are sort of like obligated to do all twelve months? It's the latter. They pay monthly, but if they want to pay up front, we'll give them uh, some money off. Got it. Very cool. So I mean you mentioned having the wait list. I, I remember in the first year of Audience Ops, we we did run into that. Like after the first three months, got the first batch of clients, that's great, but we had to pause on all of our all new sales. And then we spent like another three months just figuring out processes and starting to hire like I had two or three people in the very early days and then and then like hiring like we had to figure out the the key processes one of them being new client onboarding and then the other one was contractor training like you were talking yeah. about and both of those processes we have overhauled several times over the years you know cuz you just reach these new limits in, in the operation or, or you, you need to start multiplying them more and then the process changes. I mean, new client onboarding, that's one of those things that I think is it really like unlocks growth because once you get that dialed in into, I mean, for lack of a better word, a machine, you know, you can really push on sales and, and marketing to throw more leads because you know that your, your team has the system to actually onboard them and you don't need to get pulled into the weeds. Also, you're setting them up. What, what I found that the bigger win there was like, you're setting up a client for, for success. Like we literally saw the client lifetime double after we improved our, our client onboarding. And, uh, and, and that's a key one. But the contractor stuff, that is a really tough nut to crack. And, and we've worked really hard on that over the years. I, I mean, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. 
yeah, like, like who, like, I mean, you mentioned that you hire producers who, who I guess have some video editing skills, but you, you also look for writers. Like who, who are you looking for in terms of like the ideal candidates to work in this? Yeah, it's mainly someone who has, they're a writer, they have writing experience, they have editing experience. And then on the video end, just someone who has video, video production skills. So like they're good at, they're good at editing. You know, they know, ideally they know After Effects. Our training will get them from zero if they have no experience with After Effects and animation. But if they have some familiarity, it's, it's always nice. Very cool. And then what does it look like for like a new person to start working with you? I mean, maybe it's something that you're still figuring out right now, but yeah, like, like how do you bring them on board? What, what does the, actually that like the hiring process look like? And then the, the training and then how do you throw them into like actual client work? Yeah, we do um, what we call like shadow jobs. So they'll do a couple weeks of, you know, we'll take a, a previous client batch that's in, you know, depending on the role, it's in various stages of being unfinished. And so they take that training job that's going to be in the state that an actual client job will be when it gets to them in their role. They, so they, they've already watched the training. And so they have these companion videos, which previously we used to do like really long training where it's basically like you're sitting and watching someone work over their shoulder while they explain what they're doing and be like a three hour long video. And now we're changing that to be more bite-sized videos where it's it's more digestible, it's more easily referenceable, and it's it's more easily updatable because it'll be like one little thing changes in software or whatever, and and it's like you don't want to redo a three hour long video. Uh, so we're in the process of making those more bite sized videos. But they've got these um, they've got these training videos for reference. They've watched through them. They know how to do the work, and so they do the work. And then someone on the core team uh, who's salaried will work with them like they'll do uh they'll do a check-in call and kind of talk through the work and give feedback and then they'll do another one and we usually find after about two weeks of this particular process that at by that point they're ready to take on their first actual client project with just a little bit of supervision and then we kind of phase out the supervision yeah i've completely have have seen that too with video training stuff i I used to have used to like you, you know we we uh we go through these uh learnings like in, in a similar way like i i did these longer training videos for for new team members in different roles and then you know went to much more bite-sized easily maintainable stuff and now it's actually all in process kit which is much easier to digest for new new people because they you know we have conditional logic like if they are a ma- an account manager they go through certain training steps if they're just a writer with us they go through different training steps and much easier for uh for us to to onboard new people same thing with a client onboarding too it kind of follows the same logic process kit i know i've heard this before brian if if someone's not familiar with process kit what is this <laughs> well they'll they'll probably hear about it on on the ad that's going to run on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll tell them then. So it's a free ad. I use Process Kit for the daily content machine, and it's it's where our team goes to to handle client projects. It's where our managers can look and see everything at a glance. Progress bars, you know, Kanban list. Everything's all set up. It can move automatically on the Kanban list. It can integrate with Zapier and ping someone in Slack or put a message in Slack. Can send emails to the client. It's all really great. We switched from Asana to Process Kit, and we're we're really really happy with it. Um, we couldn't we couldn't do the daily content machine without it. We, you know all the 
conditional logic. This client has this requirement. This client has another requirement. Really, really good stuff. Love it. Yeah. And I mean, thanks so much for all the feedback that you and your team have been uh, giving me and my team on, on Process Kit. You know, it's, it's been awesome uh, working with you guys. Just a minute to tell you about Productize. If you're sick of the client services treadmill, well, there's a better way, a productized service. That's why I built Productize. It's a private community and training program for people like you and me. We're operating a client services business and we're scaling it up using the productized service model. Join our private Slack, our private forum, and get matched into your own small mastermind group with other members. Give and get honest, constructive feedback to grow your productized service business this year. Plus, get access to my productized course, which gives you everything that you need to start, grow, and systematically build your productized service business. The best part about becoming a member? No ongoing subscription. Purchase once and you get lifetime access to everything. Go to productizecommunity.com for all the details. And right now you can get 10% off by using this special URL, productizecommunity.com slash podcast. Let's go back in time and, well, maybe not even back in time. I want to get the lay of the land of, of how things all fit together. Your website, of course, is, uh, is seanwess.com. While we're at it, what, I, I was always sort of curious, what is Wes? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I got online, you know, 15 years ago making profiles and accounts and things like that, Sean McCabe, which is my full name, was taken in a lot of places. Surprisingly, a lot of designers and creative people had that name. So I just oh, took really? my middle name, Wesley, and I shortened it and kind of mashed my first and middle together just to kind of make my own moniker. So Sean Wes ended up becoming the brand or actually the like the legal business name. And Sean McCabe is me, the person. So that's how, how we ended up with that. Very cool. Very cool. My, my Twitter handle is still Cast Jam. And people are always like, what is that? <laughs> it's literally my AOL instant messenger screen name from when I was 13 years old. That's great. <laughs> Decades later, it's, it's still my six letters and it's, it's two syllables. It's short. I like it. You know, I going, let's go back to like 2010. I guess you and I sort of crossed paths because we were both doing like freelance consulting in WordPress, web design, web development stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, to back up a little bit, you know, 2006, 2007, I was repairing computers and a lot of my clients were, you know, they're kind of older and just wanted someone to make it run faster. But I found that, you know, I'd, I'd do on-site repair and so I'd come and, and they'd be there and we're talking and found out they run a business and more often than not, they would, I don't know how it came up, but like so many people kept asking like, hey, can you update my website? And I was like, sure. You know, I just started saying yes to stuff and um, got into web design that way and started getting so much work. Like I couldn't really handle it myself and I was really enjoying the design aspect of it a lot. You know, I knew a little bit of HTML, CSS, but I wasn't really a developer, more of like a designer. And so partnered with a, a guy who was better at front end development and, and just started this little web firm and started building websites on WordPress for clients. Yeah, very cool. And so the next big milestone that I remember, you know, you, you were uh, pretty active in, in the WordPress community. You, I mean, you probably still are a bit, but like, you know, you're doing that, that sort of work. 
And then I, I, you know, you started getting into this like hand lettering, doing these like really stunning hand lettering projects and throwing them on Instagram and then tweeting about it. And that turned into like a course. And that, that was like a pretty big deal, a pretty big splash. That was like a kind of a big event that I remember in, in your journey there. Is that right? Yeah, that happened around the same time, starting in 2010 while I was doing the, the web stuff. This was kind of my nighttime gig. I was just drawing for fun, drawing letters. And for those who don't know what hand lettering is, if you think of like the Coca-Cola logo, it's not a typeface. It's, it's a custom type logo. You know, some, someone designed that piece cohesively together. That's the type of thing I would do, just like custom, custom lettering pieces, just drawing for fun for myself. I was doing that for, you know, two, two or three years posting on Twitter and Instagram and Dribbble and places like that. And, and no one really cared for those first few years. It was really just a hobby for me. It's kind of my way of doodling. But then suddenly two years in or so, people started asking, they really liked my work and said, hey, can I buy this on a t-shirt? Can I buy this on a print? And, you know, I already had the day job of building websites. So the money I made from these little commissions I would do at night I just, I didn't, I didn't need the money to live off of. So I invested that in like runs of prints, screen prints and t-shirts and things like that. And then, you know, the t-shirts sold out. And so I got another run and they sold out and I got another run and they sold out. People were really, as much as they were liking the designs and the products, I was getting 10 to 12 emails a day from people asking how they could get started with hand lettering. Like there was just this big, big wave of interest at the time. I don't know what it was, but there was just lots of people interested. So, and these are mostly like design, like people who started to really follow you and, and, and inquire about that stuff. They're designers already, or they're illustrators, or they were like aspiring to, to gain those skills. Or both. I think it was a mix, actually. Like it could have just been, it could have been artists. It could have been people who maybe didn't even see themselves as artists yet, but were interested. And, and it was also like, existing designers who were working more on a computer but interested in doing stuff with their hands it's always interesting how like when you when you have an audience in a certain area you know like there's obviously there's like a lot of artists in the world and hand letters in the world but if your audience happens to be more digital but they are creative then then that hand lettering on paper that's like a new and <laughs> it is a novelty idea right yeah yeah, yeah. Really cool. I, I don't really know why there was this sudden interest, like 2000, 2011, 12, 13, like just you could you could look at the Google search trends and it, it just spiked there for some reason. I don't know exactly why, but I got tired of responding to all the emails every day. So I just compiled a, a 10 step guide that answered the most common questions and put it on my site. And then that somehow ranked number one in Google for hand lettering and for lettering. And it was like going crazy on Pinterest, which I didn't even use. Next thing I knew that guide had been read 200,000 times that year. And, wow. and I'm like, well, there's lots of interest here. Maybe I should do something more. And I'd already run the computer business. You know, I knew about business and clients and writing contracts and getting paid and pricing your work. And so I think I had something that a lot of artists didn't. And I thought, I'll just make I'll make a course that, yeah, I'll show you how I'm doing the drawings and, and how I'm digitizing them and making vectors and Bezier curves and all that fun stuff. But maybe more importantly, how do you actually make a living with this? How do you price your work? How do you get paid every quarter with licensing deals? And so just kind of showing people the business side of art. Um, spent six months making a course 
launched that and I wasn't really expecting very much. I I thought maybe I'd make a few thousand dollars, but in the first three days it made over a hundred thousand dollars. And like from then it was like, okay, I guess, uh, I guess this is really a thing. Like I never thought I could make a living as a lettering artist, but you know, here I was. Incredible. Yeah. I, I just remember that was one of those like big, it, it just seemed like such like an out of nowhere, uh, like info product, you know, splash thing when, when you launched that, I, it, it was pretty impressive. And, and man, I, I don't know if you, you, like, there must be some links out there to your lettering work from those days, but I just remember it was, it was super impressive. Yeah. Maybe uh, dribble.com slash Sean Wes. Yeah. Very cool. Some old stuff. So from there, I, I thought it was sort of interesting how, I mean, you said that you had the, the background in business and contracts and working with clients and stuff like that. And it does make sense that, that you would teach that stuff to more creative artists and, and, and people like that. So was that like sort of the bridge that got you into all of the content and audience building and, and thought leadership, if you will, around, around running a, a creative business online? It definitely was because at the time I I had started this little podcast where I was just kind of sharing what I was doing as I was doing it, just iterating in public. And I'm launching this course and I'm talking about what's going into making this course and marketing this course before, before I knew it would even be a big deal. I was just kind of sharing as I went. And so I just, I just continued that theme of sharing like what I was doing as I was doing it, kind of just building in public. and. And that kind of attracted people outside of the art world. Like it wasn't just artists, it was marketers, it was, you know, designers and and business owners and filmmakers and developers. And it, it was this more general group of people. And as much as I did enjoy the art, it I think the art gave me this where I found that I had a voice. Because lettering, you can write words and you can put a message out there, but it would take four hours to write four words. That look really nice. And I, I just felt like I had so much more to say. And so that's when I got into like podcasting and writing and videos as just a way to like get more of what I had to say out there. And as much as I liked the art, I really just liked helping people get unstuck and figure out. I'm just really practical down to earth. Like what can, what can you actually do to make money from this? How could you actually quit your job and make this a real thing, a viable thing? And so that's that that is what got me into kind of this more like how to run a creative business thing. Yeah. How you put out content. It's like so it's just the sheer volume of content, both podcasting, video, text, and then we've got these courses and membership stuff. It, it's it's pretty impressive. Obviously, you know, it spans out over several years, but still even even like just month to month you're you're producing a lot. So I'm sort of like looking through the the website today. And you've got this section for courses. So like there's one on starting a business, building a writing habit, you know, getting clients, starting a podcast, uh, one on pricing and stuff. And so obviously these are like, each one is kind of like a building block to, to forming like a really good uh, online business. How do you, how, how have this stuff, how has this stuff sort of like come together for you? I, I know that you also like wrote a book at, at one point, like how did these uh, course packages come together and then there's the membership component like what does it look like today and maybe how did that evolve over the last couple of years yeah i had i had no idea how it was all going to come together so you know in hindsight i made 
made a lot of mistakes. I didn't, I didn't narrow down. I didn't, I didn't focus enough. I, I think honestly, Brian, it was like, wow, I made this course and it made six figures. I'll just keep making courses about everything I know. And it, there wasn't really this thought around like, who is it for and how do I reach them and how do I sell it? And so I found myself in this place where after putting my head down for several years and just cranking out courses, like 68 lesson courses, 72 lesson courses, you know, just like really in-depth stuff. Then I just had all of this material for like, you know, different, different people, different audiences or at different stages in their business. And it was like, oh, how, how do I market and promote all of this stuff sustainably? It's like I launched them and this one made $50,000 and this one made 35 and this one made 170, you know, but but after you get those spikes, like I really didn't have a sustainable business, which is what ultimately, you know, six, seven years later led me to productize services. Cause it's kind of like, it's like the, the revenue reliability of SaaS for agency owners, you know, like I, I just love right. the predictability of it, but I had these, this really spiky revenue and like, it was, it was great, but I didn't like the unpredictability of it. Yeah. And, and is that what led you to go to like a membership model? Yeah, it really was. Cause like I, I had these courses, I launched them, they made money initially. And then it was like, okay, now what? I would spend like 18 months building out these crazy, sophisticated, evergreen sales funnels with different learning paths that led to these different various courses. And so you, you kind of can see that iteration. If, you, if you're looking at the homepage currently, there's these six different learning paths. Like, what do you want to do? Like, I want to start a business and quit my job, or I want to start a podcast, or I want to, you know, price my work. And these different learning paths have different lead magnets and different like two-week email courses with more resources and more education. And they all lead respectively to one of the courses that I made. That was kind of my feeble attempt at stringing this all together. But it's honestly so complicated that when it doesn't perform as well as I want, you kind of don't even know where to begin to diagnose like optimizing it. And so I got so tired of it, frankly. I just said, you know what? I've had this membership that I've been running for seven years. And mainly it was just a community a little bit of resources, but we do like some live streaming and, you know, office hours and that was it. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put all $8,000 of these courses in the membership and just call it a day. And we have made a lot less money than we used to make launching these courses. But my quality of life is like 10 times better because I don't have to keep doing these launches and like switching my focus and switching context to different audiences. And I just said, put it all in the membership. I don't care if we make less money. And then I was like, let's just focus on services and that can be our bread and butter and and that can be like nice, reliable uh, cash. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And I mean, membership programs like this or just membership communities, really, I should say, it, have been something that I've been really interested in for a while. Obviously, with, with Productize, I have the course and it comes with access to our private community. And, you know, I've always wanted to be more active in it myself and to and to really add more like daily and, and ongoing value in it and, and this year in 2021 you know uh, uh Jessica is on the team now and she's um really helping to to do these like live uh, ask me anything events and by the way Sean you you'll be doing one of those uh for, for our community um in the next couple of weeks um, yeah so, I'm excited about uh, that yeah but I wanted to ask you like 
what what actually goes into your Sean West membership? So obviously you get access to your whole like library of, of courses. So a ton of value there. But I'm I'm more curious about like I mean I'm looking at the at the page here. There's like a members only podcast. There's a private. I assume there's like a private community access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like what goes into it? What what is your involvement in it? What does that actually look like and and all that? Yeah. So right now it is just literally everything we make, all of the training, all of the the workshops, the the courses, everything we make is free to members. And you can also buy those things standalone still, but it just, it really wouldn't make sense. So we see the the membership as like a, a companion to all of the training. It's like, okay, here's this tremendous amount of, you know, Netflix for business training, but how do you actually apply that to your unique situation? That's where the community is kind of the the glue to all of this. This was like before Discord and Slack and stuff, we actually built our own community in a box platform. It's got like conversations and rooms and video and audio live streaming and and profiles and stuff. I actually was thinking about making that a SaaS several years ago and it got put on the back burner. But yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Um I think it's I think it's a really good deal. As far as my involvement, normally my involvement is like hanging out in there and, and answering questions and helping people, but also I stream my show live. So like when I record the podcast, we stream it live only to the members. So we do like a pre-show and a bonus after show. And, you know, the public version goes out to everyone, but they can ask questions. It's more interactive for them. So it's it's not like I promise my time, but you, you'll probably get my help. Other than that, it's like, uh, you know, the team is in there as well and and other people are helping out. I'm kind of curious about the team because, you know, I, I'm starting to delegate a little bit more and, and letting other members of my team like really run the mechanics of of my community and also my audience and, and newsletter a bit. Like I give my input on high level content ideas, but, you know, yeah, keeping that activity going, I'm, I'm starting to try to build an organization around keeping that going. I'm curious, like who who on your team does that sort of stuff and what kind of processes do you give them? Yeah, great question. Mainly mainly right now, it's kind of a weird it's it's a weird situation for us cuz this is a the 2020 is a sabbatical year for me. I took off the whole year intending to travel the world and then the pandemic hit. Uh yeah, so that's oh man. That was <laughs> a little bit even gotten to that. I don't know if we'll have time on this one, but but I No, will. there's too there's too many things. But the the main thing they're doing right now kind of in my in my absence is like the weekly live streamed office hours. So it's just like, you know, helping you get clarity with stuff. It's admittedly, Brian, and we've even told the members, it's like, uh, on the one hand, Sean's technically on a sabbatical year. And on the other hand, like our focus right now really is on this agency, like in 2020. And so we've told them like, admittedly, like we we aren't giving the focus we want to to the membership, we we would like that to change in 2021. But we've been pretty upfront that like, we haven't done as good of a job as we would have liked in 2020, because we've been like pulled in all of these directions. Like, so, you know, some people like they're really there for that interaction, they really want like, access to us. And that's why they were there. And some of them canceled, you know, and and it's, uh, I totally understand that. It's not like we promise that you get access to us or that I'm going to personally give you feedback. But for some people, that was the the benefit and the value. And for other people, having access to all of the training is the value or just the community and talking to others. So I feel like there's a lot of things we could do 
more with the membership. And, and one of the things is like allowing people to connect with each other better. And so what I want to do is like facilitate more like group sessions and have like systematize that, you know, where someone's a, someone's a moderator, someone sets it up, you know, all the technical and all of that, but basically maybe once a week, or maybe you could even have, you know, multiple throughout the week, like work sessions. That's been really popular lately is like people just getting on a zoom call. Yeah. And like they mute themselves, you know, they're not even talking. It's just, they're just hanging out virtually. And so like, I want to build more things like that. I feel like that's kind of the, the 2020 version of memberships. Especially for creative people who are doing that, like deep creative work. I, I mean, I sort of miss that too. Like I, I'm always doing like deep, whether I'm coding or, or designing something, I always like to hop into my slacks, you know, and friends and just say, what's up. And it, it's kind of like the old, like coffee shop or co-working. Yeah. Space. Coffee shop. Or like I, I used to work at a in-house agency, you know, 13, 14 years ago in, in New York. And it was always kind of fun to like talk about music to my coworkers sitting next to me and then go back to working on websites. There's a little bit of a, of a curveball, but something I spent like a total of four solid days on in the past month or two is, I think you'll be excited about this, Brian, uh, internally creating a process for creating processes. Yeah. Do you have something like that? Yeah, we, we've had that in audience ops for a while. And now that we've moved audience ops to process kit, we have that again. It's, um, it, it, I mean, it's one of those things, just like client onboarding and employee onboarding, it, it has evolved again and again as our workflows have, have changed. And now it's, there's somebody on the team who's sort of in, in charge of the process stuff. So, Oh, nice. So like they, they make new processes and, and update things and stuff? Yeah, we have a team manager. So we have individual account managers for our clients and audience ops. Every account gets a, a manager plus a writer, a copy editor. And so there's a bunch of those. And then one of our lo- very longtime managers moved up into become what we call the team manager. And she's responsible for hiring and interviewing people, training new, new people, um, being that like go-to person when the team has questions, kind of like shielding me from all those questions. And then she's also in charge of maintaining our, our processes and finding ways to make things better, you know. What I wanted to kind of systematize is, you know, I'm involved in a lot of the process creation, but I want to delegate myself out of that. And so coming up with criteria by which the team can determine when a process should be created, like what should be a process, when, when do they create the whole like what, why, where, when, how. Yeah. And that way they know like, like, is this going to be done more than once? make a process. Is it, is it being done by someone other than yourself? Make a process. Have you ever made a mistake? Make a process, basically make a process. And then, you know, key things like tasks need due dates. They need an assignee. They need, you know, a dependency, like, and, and this is where it should live. And this is how you, you phrase the task and it should start with a verb and, you know, like all of those things. I think, um, and, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll probably dig more into this on your, uh, on your ask me anything for the community, but I'm just thinking out loud about this right now. It's an interesting topic. I, I think building processes in the business comes down to like two big categories. Like one is building. It's, it's, to me, it's, a, it's just like building a software product, but if you're building a, a service, a productized service, improving your agency, like there are these core processes that 
that just need to exist in some form in order to actually launch the service. So the way that you onboard clients, the way that you d- deliver the, the core deliverable every week or every month or whatever. But I, I tend to keep those fairly minimal in the beginning, um, just to have like something to launch with, and, because then everything else is about learning to see how how it actually plays out in you know on the ground, like in in in, in the real world. Because it's so first it's like theoretical, but then it's like oh, but actually clients care about this or that, and then you tweak the process. Then the other big bucket is like troubleshooting, like processes that come out of troubleshooting. Why was this particular client's onboarding? kind of rocky compared to all of our other clients what what went wrong oh well it's because we didn't work out their wordpress plugins during week one we should have done that and so now it's like you go back and make sure that you have a process for for covering those bases with every client you know um so we have lots and lots of those that have that have evolved over the years yeah it's i like that you said you know first it's theoretical at least you have something down because then you can you can improve it yeah yep man there there is so much we can cover maybe maybe we'll do it on another you know another podcast sometime but uh this is uh this has gone long enough i you know i definitely encourage folks to go check out seanwest.com follow you on twitter sean west daily content machine is up there on your site which i should probably tell people because it's and this is a whole other topic we could have gone into brian but um we don't even have a dedicated website for the service it's i noticed i was looking for it (laughs) Yeah, you, if you search, you can't find it. It's terrible, but we have so much demand. We haven't we haven't done it yet. Do you have the, the domain for it? Dailycontentmachine.co is okay. is where you can go, and that'll that'll kind of redirect you, um, and, and you can find it that way. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to find right now. Yeah, well, we'll get it uh, linked up. Awesome, Sean. This is uh, this is really good. Always always very inspiring. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.